I'm Aggie Hewitt. And you are joining us in the midst of our third series all about Robert De Niro. That's right. We love him. So last week we talked about Dirty Old Grandpa and this week. That's right. We are talking. <laughs> we did talk about Dirty Old Grandpa last which week. I, yes. And you gave that five stars on your letterbox. Did I? No. I may have. Do you have a letterbox? Yeah, but I, I always forget about it. I just, and then I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm going to do letterbox. And then I do it like every single day. And then I stop doing it for like months. It's, I'm like that with Goodreads too. I'm, I try to be really good about logging everything, but I'm like, fuck this. I get like too mad about it. I'm a rebel. Yeah, you are a rebel. Well, do you know that thing? The, um, oh, what's her name? That Gretchen Rubin. She has that, um, there are four kinds of people. There's. Uh, do you know about it? No, no, no. Tell me. She's like a self-help guru. So you can be a rebel, uh, an upholder. Um, and then there's one where like you will do things if it makes other, you'll like do whatever other people say or something. And then there's one, uh, I don't know. Then there's another one. There's like four different personality types, but I've taken her quiz several times and I've come up rebel every time. Rebel every time. Well, in just the three you told me, I feel like that would be my box also. Rebel. Yeah. Yeah. We're both rebel. That's what drew us to each other. I think so. I think our rebellious hearts. Yeah. yeah. We stepped to the side and then found each other. Yeah. We were like not getting in this crowded line headed towards hell. No, no, no. We'll just, we'll do a podcast <laughs> instead. <laughs> uh, okay. So okay. T this week, tonight, we're talking about a, um, a class, another classic movie from 1997 by uh, Hollywood's independent bad boy, Quentin Tarantino. A very divisive figure in this day and age. Sure. But I mean... A great director and probably someone who's going to be, who's going to have a great legacy. Oh my God. It's, yeah, he, he put in the work and I, yeah, I, I like his movies. Oh, I love his movies. I love his movies. I really love this movie. It's Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown. Well, yeah. Um, people talk shit about American cinema all the time and watching these Robert De Niro movies, I'm like, you know what? I love American movies. I don't care. I think they're great. They are great. They're like high art. Yeah, some of them. Mainstream ones are really good. Yeah. They're um like this. Like this. I I, I don't I don't know that you would see a real mainstream movie like this today. Um I don't I think the most the closest example would be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like I he can so do too. whatever, you know, he can get away with it. Yeah, I feel like he's gotten more experimental mm -hmm. and this is much more of just a straight story. Yeah. Um, and even like... Pulp, Pulp Fiction was pretty experimental. I think, yeah, that's what I was going to start talking about, I guess. Because that was also more experimental, yeah. But it, it didn't... In terms of the like non-linear story that like kind of became a cyclical... Yeah. Story with the different, how the, how the different storylines intersect. Yeah. Make the movie kind of become a, a loop. Yeah. I love that movie. I do too. That's a great movie. He, he utilized that, um, like an element of that a little bit in Jackie Brown where, uh, like towards the end when they're in the department store oh, and you for, see the different yeah. perspectives. Yeah. That's just for like a, like the last act of the movie. It's like in that one scene. Yes. Um, Which was a very cool way to do that. Yeah, I thought so too. Especially because the thing about this movie is that whatever is the heist has always been 
like the part where I'm sort of confused. Even still, I might be a little bit confused. I think I got it now, but I'm like, okay, she's got to put this more. She's got a little bit of money in one bag. Now she can put a lot of money in that other bag. And then she's giving this bag to him and she's getting one. And it all works out for Jackie, but exactly how unclear. Yeah, it's a, it's an elaborate shell game. It's an, it's very elaborate. Uh, we could Should we start towards the beginning? Um, sure. Um, so the movie star is Pam Greer. Yes. In a radiant, resplendent performance. Resplendent indeed. <laughs> uh, you see her traveling on an escalator through the airport. She's on one of those like walkway things yeah. that moves. And that's kind of, even though it's in the opening scene like the opening shot it's like the credits that's yeah. sort of the famous shot from the movie because it's really well done and it just looks really cool yeah and it's it so dynamic like really and... like technically difficult and whatever and you just see her like you there, there's a point where she realizes she's a little bit late and she starts running yeah. to the gate and she's like adjust you know like yeah and then in the end she gets to the gate and she like runs behind and puts her stuff away and just comes out and she's like okay thank you may take your ticket and she's just starting her her day of work it's yeah, awesome it's so awesome and you just get the sense like this woman is this woman is together but she's always like a little bit behind and that i feel it's, like that's kind of her character she's in her mid-40s she's like like she's gonna cover her ass and get her work done but she's not she's like She's she may not be perfect, but she's going to like cover her ass. She's going to cover her ass. Yeah. Yeah. Jackie's going to take care of Jackie. Yeah. That was just some of the best. I, it was, I don't know if I would call it business advice. Maybe just regular old work advice <laughs> I ever got. But someone was just like, always cover your ass. And it's true. It is true. Um, I kept making jokes um, because you see her moving. There's a couple of scenes in the movie where she's like going somewhere and she's always moving from right to left across the frame and uh did you ever see that movie vagabond by agnes varda no she uh also it's about a like a homeless teenager who um is she's a like a wanderer a vagabond she's like traveling the french countryside it's very sad but it's like really awesome but she she's always moving from right to left throughout the movie i did not notice that she was always moving from right to left i only noticed it because i went to a screening of vagabond a, a few years ago and agnes varda said that and i was uh, and i just always stuck in my mind it's like as uh, she moves from right to left <laughs> so when it happened i was like oh yes quinton is referencing vagabond do you think he was no i don't i think i don't think so is she always moving from right to left in those scenes where you see her like on a long stroll because there's the there's also the scene where she's um you know he follows he follows her so much and he like there's so many like shots of her walking and it's like a close up of her face whenever you like it, it, i don't know she just looks so beautiful and she looks so um there's a real like playfulness for how she's allowing herself to be seen you know like she'll have she's got like that presence and like a little smile it's oh, like, she, yeah. I mean, I think that she's just like a full human being. Like, she, it feels like you're watching a real person. Totally. Yeah. Everybody feels like such a real person. Yeah. It feels pretty grounded for a Quentin Tarantino movie, I think. I agree completely. Maybe, um, is this the last one that was that grounded? I mean, I think Hateful Eight was pretty grounded. I didn't like that movie. I really liked it. Really? Yeah, I did. Um, And... What else? I mean, I guess they all have their moments. I mean, they're all character driven. Yeah. And he loves actors and is always all about his actors. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he really wants them to shine. That's what they say. That's what that's he what says. All, that's what he says. That's what they say. God, he is so obnoxious. He's so pompous. It's He's so insane. annoying. He's, I watched ugh. a few interviews with him for this and I was just like, I hate him so much i mean i love his movies i just would never i never want to hear him talk about talk him. him no it's like he does a very nice job expressing himself in a medium that where you don't have to hear his voice yeah except for occasionally yeah saying the n-word like mm. stop I cease mean, and desist please, please quentin, quentin we beg you yeah as fans yeah stop um, okay, so she gets to work and then she's sort of not really in the movie for the first like 20 minutes. We get to Samuel Jackson and Robert De Niro who are hanging out in uh, Samuel Jackson's house. 
Yes, a beautiful beachside. It made me want to move to the beach. It was very appealing. Yeah, which I never want to move to the beach because I always hate the west side. But this kind of made me interested. Yeah, it was just there. There, um, Samuel Jackson's character's name is Ordell, and he's a like a gun runner, and he has a large sum of money. And Pam Greer, as a flight attendant, is um, like a, a money mule. She's bringing his money in over from Mexico, and. I don't know what point we realize it, but the ATF who wants to bust Samuel L. Jackson for guns is using his money mules to kind of get to him. Yeah. And the first one is Beaumont. Yeah. So the, yeah. So she's, so we start in this scene. This is the Robert De Niro scene, which is like important because we're talking about Robert De Niro here. So Robert De Niro is like, Covered in tattoos, and he's just gotten out of jail um, four days ago. Yeah. He's this just kind of like, he's just real slow, and he's just kind of looks tired. Like, he's really been through it. Punchy. Punchy? Isn't that what Quentin Tarantino said about him in that interview where he's like, he was someone who was like sharp earlier on, and then this last stint in jail made him kind of punchy. I I, I thought punchy meant like wired. But maybe, I mean, I'll trust the auteur on that one. <laughs> I always felt like it's like you got punched in the head so much you just like need to sit down and like. That's kind of what Let it the seems room like. stop spinning. It seems like he got punched and he did a lot of punching. Yes. And he's just fucked up now. And like he just needs to retire, but he doesn't know where to go. It's kind of like what happens to these guys after they sort of run their course. Yeah. I mean, there's not really. It not kind a lot of, of options. Not a lot of options. Not a lot of options if you're, you know. A woman in your 40s on the downhill slide but of life. She, yeah, well, but she, but Pam Greer is pretty together well, in mean, this she's movie. She's amazing. But I think the part of it was there, like, there are not a lot of options. Like, no, exactly. She makes $16,000 a year. But I, I thought that first scene with them in the in the house was, like, really good exposition, yes. which he's really good at. And um, it just got the whole, like, them sitting around and watching that video of, like, babes with guns or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's explaining to Rob, Samuel Jackson is explaining to Robert De Niro, like, what all the individual guns do and how much he sells them for and how much he buys them for and what is what is more desirable for his clients versus other things. And it just felt so natural. And then you see the relationship with the... Um, the uh Bridget Fonda and it's just like such a natural it just all ma- it all unfolds really nicely yeah you get the whole deal like the you whole setup. understand what their situation is like a phone rings and uh Bridget Fonda's character is Melanie and the mm. phone it's that like kind of showdown of like who's gonna get the phone it's like very obvious it's her job like yeah. she's his little unofficial secretary he's this tough guy who bosses everybody around and he obviously treats women like shit I mean he's like you need to get my phone and yeah um, you need to refill our drinks and da 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 and she just wants to sit and get high and she's a brat who just wants to fucking get high with <laughs> Robert De Niro which is like also brat. how I describe myself <laughs> <laughs> she's just like constantly smoking like out of a bigger and bigger bong every time they cut back to her in that house it's true Um, but so yeah so she gets this phone call and it's about or she picks it up and and Samuel L. Jackson answers it and it's Beaumont and he's in jail yes and uh he he's in jail and uh he they they get a bail bondsman Max Cherry mm. played by Robert Forrester Robert Forrester in a also resplendent I would say oh my god I mean equally resplendent the two of them together is pure magic oh my god he's like a, a real smoky whiskey of a man I'd say. <laughs> he is he is a a brown uh stalk of wheat just like fading in the fall sun they go to Ordell they, or Ordell and uh what's Robert De Niro's name in this uh it's Lewis Lewis Lewis, because she's like, Lewis, where'd oh, you park the car? Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> that, if this movie came out today, she would get a Best Supporting Actress nomination. Yes. Pam Greer would win an Oscar for Best Actress. Yes. Robert Forrester would win. At least be nominated. He would at least be nominated. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, and I feel like that would happen again, but maybe this time he would win it. Who was the lead actor? If is everyone a supporting actor in this movie? I think in this movie, yeah, it's I an mean, ensemble. He's the lead actor. Forrester? He's the lead, and and Pam Greer is the lead. 
I know. Oh, well, she's clearly the lead. Um, so they, so, uh, they realize that like Beaumont played by Chris Tucker, who's great. He's really good in this. The, yeah. the scene with the two of them is so good. They realize that, um, or they suspect that he's been like talking to the feds. Yeah. So, um, they, they get a bond, they bail him out of jail and Samuel L. Jackson, uh, goes to his house and lures him out of his house and gets him to get in the trunk of a car. And says to it's avoid to, going to jail. He says it's to like do a heist with him or something. Like yeah. he's fighting with some other people and he needs to, he needs him to like pop out of a, out of the trunk with a, with a rifle to scare them. And it's part of like a ruse that he wants to do. So, um, Chris Tucker is like, okay, fine. Like very, really doesn't want to do it, but he's like, I owe you one for bailing me out of jail. And instead of, uh, instead of taking him there, he does in one of those great Quentin Tarantino shots that was really reminded me of the sh- the pool to Sharon Tate. Oh yeah, shot in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Those it, big cranes. Those big cranes. It's like the he just takes the car and drives it around to an empty lot, and the camera like pans up over, and you see them just stopping, and he opens the trunk and just kills him. Yeah, because he realizes that. Um, Beaumont had a DUI and was going to go to jail for 10 years. And so he was definitely going to talk. So he just kills him. Yes. Yes. And uh, that is a chain of events. Well, that leads the them to Pam Greer. Right. Yes. Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown. And uh, the uh, Michael Keaton is one of the ATF officers who... like intercepts her and uh, correctly discovers that she is a money mule. Yeah. And he wears a leather jacket, a big leather jacket, big leather jacket and a little white t-shirt, a little white t-shirt and a, and it's squeaky. It squeaks with him. (laughs) And he's just, he's just like a, a FDA agent who want or whatever he is. ATF. ATF. Not that's the food and drug administration. Yeah. This is alcohol, tobacco, firearms. Firearms, Yeah. Uh, Yeah. He's got those um, quizzical eyebrows. Well, I mean like permanently quizzical, (laughs) permanently surprised. Very. They're just wild. He's Beetlejuice. Baby. Yeah, he is. And through Birdman. and through. Through and through. Yeah. Uh, I guess he plays the same part in Out of Sight. Yeah. Which is so cool. Because I guess it's like the same character. Yeah. He's part of the Elmore Leonard cinematic universe. The ELCU. The- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess we should also say that the movie is based on a book by Elmore Leonard called Rum Punch. Yes. Which I have not read. No, I've never read any Elmore Leonard. It's not really my thing. Didn't he write the book about the Black Dahlia? I my dark places is he the one with the mom I get yeah him. I oh. think so wait who are you thinking? I get him confused I think I'm thinking of him but I but this all seems so much lighter than the guy that I'm thinking of with the black dahlia because I've tried to read some I think it is Elmore Leonard because if it is then I actually really d- don't like him at all I, I find his stuff unreadable uh i'm sorry my dark places all the black dahlia stuff is james elroy james elroy that's the one and who wrote this one uh elmore leonard they See, shouldn't come on yeah and you got not the L's. james elroy unreadable to me can't do it this one i think i've always thought that he was james elroy and so i never read any of his books either elmore leonard yeah yeah his books i feel like are like poppier and they're, they're fun, like more and like fun action and they're like ooh, like and drama and cups and yeah and it's like a pop like a soundtrack and sexy. yeah there's a soundtrack to his book <laughs> yeah you hear it yeah it sounds like like it's a dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> no exactly did he do get shorty i think so okay yeah yeah and i feel like he's like a cool guy and then he's I like wearing like- sunglasses at a, like a poetry reading but he's old yes and then the other one james elroy, elroy. wrote LA Confidential? Yes. And, and he's like, he's like hanging out at detective bars, like being sad. And he's like in a depression constantly and like constantly. very like annoying to me and depressing. Yeah. And, and he really writes women bad. He does. I think so. The one book I tried to read of his, like the first time you see the, whatever the first female character, she like falls out of a house and she's getting beaten by a man. And he like takes a long time to describe what her breasts look like under her nightgown and like how you can like see her like perky tits under her nightgown while she's like covered in blood and bleeding. And 
then there's like a bunch of like mm-hmm. and then it's like n-word 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 and then it's like tits and then it's just like and it's like oh and like this is what reality actually is on the gritty streets of la and i'm like okay i'm closing this book i don't need to do this to myself i don't care (laughs) yeah all right well that reminds me of um the great gatsby oh i like the great gatsby well i mean i haven't read it since you know high school but i liked it well the thing that really sticks out to me is uh the car crash and the woman whose breast gets sliced off (gasps) i forgot about that how grotesque but how interesting yeah it's always i mean i'd love to read a whole essay on it i'm sure there must be one oh i mean i'm tapping into like the grad school database i'm not gonna that fucking a thousand like the like dr pullman junior year of english <laughs> database i'm sure there's some in there as well yeah um okay so jackie gets picked up by the atf she agrees to work with them this uh, maybe we can go like broad strokes with like this scheme yeah and then as we like remember them we could talk about different scenes sure they okay so she gets picked up by the atf she's like all right i'll play along she goes to samuel l jackson and she's like hey the atf picked me up i have to go along why don't we figure out how to fuck over the atf and he's like okay great and the atf is so she is playing everybody yeah and we see her like playing both sides and like we don't know what she's gonna do because she's going to the she's going back and forth and sort of telling everybody what she's doing yes and then but what makes it like really three-dimensional chess and like what makes the whole plan come together is max cherry the bail bondsman yes and you know as because he also uh, bails her out he's there when they like release her from jail and uh, what I mean, as soon as she like walks through the prison doors, he is completely smitten. He's like smitten. By like her. every man who sees her is like immediately like in love with her. They cannot yeah. contain themselves, and that's like what makes this whole thing work. Like she is. She's so hot. She's so hot. She's like using her feminine power. Like her feminine wiles are like she's she's it's her the indian summer of her attractiveness as a woman that that the idea of that made me sad i just have to say i'm sorry it was the indian summer well am i wrong for saying it i mean no but because it it filled me with hope i it fills me with hope too because i but i think that what is great about it and what's hope what's hopeful about it and what's like awesome about her role in it is that she is, she is playing the system. Like she's playing all these people, but she's also playing the system. And the, the, the game that she's playing is also like built on her attractiveness and her sexuality and her ability to get all of these people to listen to her and believe her and trust her. And she knows that. And that's, that's the glue that holds the whole thing together. Yeah. And I feel like the biggest embodiment of that is Robert Forrester's character because she knows right. Like you, the tension between them is so palpable and I feel like she picks up on it right away. She's so crazy smart and she knows how people see her and she's constantly like interacting with that. I think, and I think like Pam Greer as an actress is also like another layer like she's engaging with that in a really like profound way i think and with the forster character he is using his position as a bail bondsman to gain like trust and access and let her like execute this plan that eventually ends up with her walking away with five hundred thousand dollars or like four hundred fifty thousand dollars totally Okay, so where were we in the plot? So she is... So where did we leave off talking about in the plot? Uh, well, we were we were going to... We're broad stroking the plot. We were talking about, like, uh, he goes to pick her up from oh, the Oh, yeah, prison. yeah. So he picks her up, and he's, like we said, smitten with her. And um, he is, yeah, like, the linchpin that holds all of this together. So basically, what she ultimately does is um, she makes a trip she gets the um dea fuck it's not the dea it's the atf she gets the atf to let her go back to work she goes back to mexico gets his gets uh odell's money brings it all back over and she has this 
ruse where uh, Michael Keaton is going to mark the bills. I guess he doesn't know how much she's bringing over. Is that the idea? Well, they, uh, so the first time she does it, she does $50,000 because there's a treasure of like half a million dollars, which shows you like how small potatoes this whole thing is. It's You're not dealing with like international masterminds with millions of dollars. They're like small time gun runners who've accumulated half a million dollars over a lifetime of work. Like that's what Ordell has. So she is... And she's supposed to bring his whole like fortune over from Mexico. And the first time she brings $10,000, she gets caught. And then she's like, I could bring the whole thing or I could like, we want to do a test. He wants to do a test of me, like bring over a little bit of money. So she tells the ATF, it's only going to be 50,000, but it's the whole amount. That's the second time. Yeah. That's like when the whole like thing kind of comes together. Yeah. So they, so Michael Keaton has marked, the a certain amount of bills yeah and she comes like fifty thousand. bills. yeah and so she comes back with these marked so i don't know at what point he marks the bills oh i guess when she's like supposed to do a drop off. oh to give it back to ordell so she goes into the mall the delamo mall and uh she is going to leave the full amount with the atf thinking it's only fifty thousand dollars but odell thinking it's the full amount um in a shopping bag and leave it with melanie and robert de niro robert de niro being not quite not all there so she uh but what nobody knows is that she has robert forrester there to pick up an identical bag so she goes in she gives melanie the fifty thousand dollars she gives and then she leaves, leaving behind the bulk of the money. Robert Forrester goes in and she runs out into the center of the mall, screaming for the police and saying she just to- stole all the money. Yes. And that's the, like the end of the movie. And well, no, that's not. Because then um, Robert De Niro's character in the parking lot murders Melanie because he's so irritated with her. And she they Odell really wants his money back so they organize a sting where Jackie herself is bait and Odell is coming to Cherry Bail Bonds um we don't know as viewers but the police are there waiting for him too and he comes in and we know he's gonna kill her and they murder him thinking that he has all of his own money on him and she gets away with the rest and goes to Madrid or she Barcelona. To, I don't yeah, remember. She go, well, she'll start in Madrid and see what where, where it takes, it takes her. her. Yeah. I meant to say it was the run out of the movie, not the end. Um, yeah. So it's a very like uh, complex jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. Of- so that like that like heist thing at the end, I think, is so complicated. It took me like several times watching it to understand what happened. Like I finally, I felt like this time I was like, okay, I see it. But like, I've seen that movie a lot of times and I don't really, I mean, I've always been like, and then they do something with money. (laughs) They do like a test run midway through where uh, she, it's, she's kind of testing out how, um, how they could uh, pull off what they eventually show at the end where she, convinces Samuel L. Jackson to like have two of his other girlfriends meet her in the mall and do this like shell game basically with shopping bags that all look alike. They're sitting in the food court and it's a re- it's like a classic like switcheroo. And that's where she first gets Robert Forrester involved too, which is like weird because I don't know what she was planning on doing. Maybe she was just like, it'll come together. Um, or maybe she's like thinking on her feet the whole time because he just happens to be at the movie and then going to the food court. She well, he was in on it the whole time. She runs into him. I don't think he's in on it the first time. You wasn't that a uh, because he sees how it all plays out. Oh yeah, and, and he's, he's like, like, oh, it could work, it could work. And she's like, the first time he, when she has no, so sorry, yeah, when she first has lunch there with Odell, and she's convincing him to do it. That's when he runs into her. 
and, and just she missed his call and it's more of that like cat and mouse like he's so in love with her she he's she steals the gun out of his uh when he picks her up from prison she steals a gun out of his um glove compartment because uh she uses it to threaten ordell because she also has this deal with ordell that like when she plays the atf if she gets away with it, he'll give her a hundred thousand dollars. If she goes to prison, he'll give her an additional two hundred or additional hundred thousand dollars. And he's like, okay. And they shake on it, but she like points a gun at him. And then Robert Forrester comes to pick up the gun, and she's like in her bathrobe, and they have that whole like they drink a cup of coffee. Yeah. And there's that like very. It's so interesting how she, she plays the Delphonics for him and he loves it. And then he, he goes to Sam Goody it. and buys a cassette and, he, and, and he drives like, around town and he's listening. like smiling, carrying it to the register. It's so cute. It's so cute. <laughs> and um, he's so cute. I know. And then at the end, when he didn't take any money, she says, I wish you would just take um, I wish you would take more. a little more. And yeah, because he like, just took like ten percent. But then at the end, she gives him a kiss, and it sort of feels like that's what he did it for. Like just one kiss was enough because he loves her, and that's as much as he's ever gonna get. He loves her, and she knows it. And she's like, mm, "Good." Yeah, she has to be free. She I can't mean, like stick around and like wait. No, for she this. has to get out of there. She doesn't want to stick around. And he get the it's so, the end of the movie is so devastating. After like she kisses him and the phone rings and he like picks up the phone and he's like and Can he's I call like you he's like what's the nature of the thing? What's the crime? And he's like oh that sounds pretty serious. And he like watches her like leave and get in the car and drive away. And then he hangs up and it, he like goes out of focus and like hugs himself. Yeah. And it's like oh. He just like let her go. Yeah, because he it was just like the way it had to be. Yeah. Do you think that if he ran after her and he was like, I will come to Spain with you? Like, can we make can we try to make this work? I think it could have worked, but I don't think I I think it would have ruined it for both of them. It's not who they are. Like, it's not in the cards for either of them to be in a serious relationship. And if they were together, they probably would have done more bad stuff. And she's just like a survivor and he's a survivor and they're just like doing. And they know what their lives are. Yeah. And like, that's what he, at the end he's like, I'm 56 years old. I can't get mad at anyone else for what I do. Uh, which is what an adult says. Yeah. And he's in, he's stuck in his ways at that point. I mean, they're not going to change. They're in their middle, they're middle aged people. They're not, you know. Yeah. And I think uh, him, it's like letting her go is also an act of love. Like there is so much like possession with like, well, Odell, I mean like his like girlfriends or whatever are all basically they're yeah. like employees of his, like he's uses all of them for whatever sex and money. He like gives Melanie to Robert De Niro. Cause he's like, Oh, well I know you haven't had any pussy in a long time. So whatever. yeah. And she'll fuck anybody. And she'll, he's like, yeah. And he's like, I know her. I know how she is. And he does. She's right. She is really fucked up. <laughs> she's fucked up, but she's fun. She's fucked up, but she's fun. Okay. So let's talk about Robert De Niro in this movie. Cause that's what this is all about. Right. Yes. What was Robert De Niro doing right before this? Uh, 95, he did Casino in Heat. And then in 96, he did three movies, The Fan, Sleepers, and Marvin Room, Marvin's Room. And then in 1997, he did Jackie Brown and Wag the Dog. The 90s mm -hmm. were a very like, fruitful yeah. time for him. He did really good movies. Yeah, and I was just saying, because Barry Levinson uh, is also the guy who directed um, our favorite De Niro movie, uh, Bernie Madoff, the tragedy of Bernie Madoff or whatever the fuck that was called. And um, he's that's like, I think after Martin Scorsese, I think that might be the one of the people that he's worked with the most. He's worked with him a lot. Oh, he's done a bunch, a couple of other movies with him. I saw going through his little IMDb. Um, OK, so I don't know. I mean, I feel like he's just doing like. Was Marvin's room Miramax? It must have been. I think I, I think Leonardo DiCaprio's in that movie. Yeah, I've seen that movie a bajillion times. Mar I because I was like a huge Leo D fan. Mm -hmm. Um but and that's about he like lives with his two aunts and she has um and he, like one of his aunts has like a seizure in Disneyland at the end of it. But I feel like that is like I feel like at, was he just doing like a bunch of like Harvey Weinstein movies in the 90s? I don't know. I mean, I feel like that's what all the good movies were at that time, American movies. 
I just wonder why he makes the choices that he makes because at this point he can do whatever he wants. I mean, he still can, but in the nineties, like he definitely could. Um, and do you think that Jackie Brown is a weird choice for him? I don't think it's a weird choice for him, but I, I think it's his only Quentin Tarantino movie. Yes, it is. I mean, maybe that was just the only time that one was offered to him. And it's also another like beta role for Robert De Niro. Like, another one where he's not the star he's not the he's just kind of like a schlubby quiet character who like fucks up and is weird like he always plays these characters like he does this a lot like he seems to enjoy playing these oddball kind of like loser hangers on to like tougher criminals yeah i guess um well we watched that interview with um that really bizarre interview from can with Robert De Niro and Tarantino. Yeah. And they said that they met, um, at, uh, like in 1992 when reservoir dogs came out at a Harvey Keitel party. And it, it makes so much sense that Harvey Keitel would be the connective tissue between Robert De Niro and Tarantino. Yeah. And I think, uh, Harvey Keitel has to be recognized for his like ability to pick, new filmmakers too like he's so i think the reason that reservoir dogs was made was because harvey keitel thought that there was promise there i mean that makes sense i mean he's so like he's so experimental as an actor and he really like takes a lot of risks and a lot of chances and he's always kind of stayed in that like independent space yeah so I love that I love that he and De Niro stayed friends. I love that they party together. I love that Keitel is like, you got to work with this new kid, this new filmmaker. Do you think that he seemed like a risky choice for Robert De Niro at that time? At that point, no. I think he was a sure thing. I mean, there those Pulp Fiction was like the biggest like hit. Of, it was like a huge like prestige movie. Yeah, the reason that Weinstein became Weinstein was because Pulp Fiction was what it was. Like yeah. nobody had ever seen anything like that before, and it really opened up the doors for the whole that like independent and, film yeah, movement like in the mid nineties. Yeah, yeah, and also like what you know that like the filmmakers of that generation that there were no rules that they could like really experiment and try different things with their storytelling and the way that they shot things. And I feel like that it was such a creative, exciting, awesome time. And he was definitely like this, you know, one of the major figures of that Tarantino. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was totally, he's the guy. Yeah. I mean, and so, I mean, it's this cast is so awesome. I feel like after Pulp Fiction, if you got a call to be in a Tarantino movie, that would be, like you would do it no no matter no what. question like Bridget Fonda must have jumped out of her skin to be in this role and she was still I think doing pretty well yeah but I mean this is like I don't know if she ever did anything else that's quite on this level no I don't think so and he also had a reputation for rehabilitating like fading stars like yeah like with John Travolta was like his big thing yeah and even like I feel like Bruce Willis kind of had been in a slump before that. And he has such a great part in the movie, but this like Pam Greer and Robert Forster, this was a huge boon for both of them. Oh yeah. I mean, um, but then what did Pam Greer go on to do after this? She was on the L word for a long time. Okay. Yeah. Movies, TV. I think that if this came out now and she was the age, like if this whole thing happened now, Oh, it'd be it would be totally. a different thing. Yeah, she. Yeah. It would be a totally different. Thing. And I think the movie would have been. I mean, because I don't think this movie was nominated for a lot of Academy Awards. No, those are the only one. That's like a huge fall from grace. I feel like, which is weird. Yeah, it also kind of makes. I don't know. I I kind of get it because I think that it is. It's such a good movie, and it like you said, like it's complicated. Like the heist is is complex. Like it requires a lot of commitment on the part of the audience. And I think that's not a thing, you know? Yeah. It's like too hard. And then it's too much of like a low key, like stoner hangout movie. It's such a low key movie. Yeah. It doesn't feel as, um, it's got big stoner energy. It has big stoner energy for sure. It feels very like laid back, like beachy California people. Like, 
Um, which I guess like a lot of, I mean, I, I mean, Pulp Fiction, I guess feels very California too, but it's not, it's more high energy. Yeah. And it's more like crazy, like, like crazy stuff happens in Pulp Fiction. Like yes. this one, like nothing, it's not, you wouldn't be like, oh my God, did you see that scene in Jackie Brown where, I mean, the only crazy thing is like Samuel Jackson's weird beard. That's pretty crazy. The beard and the whole hair, the whole hair situation. It's a man. It keeps on getting crazy at the end. It's like down and it's so long, it's so long. and it's, it's like so softly billowing. Oh my God. It's amazing. I saw this, I watched this movie before you came over called um jackie brown colon how it went down it was a 40 minute documentary on youtube very boring i don't recommend it but um it was a lot of behind the scenes and there was just like they kept going back to this poor makeup artist like gluing his thing on his face oh my gosh and I that's think hilarious that she must have just had to like go run in and touch that thing up probably like so many times a day that's so funny. But I remember when this movie came out, it was, um, I'll say it, it was my junior year of high school and my boyfriend at the time, we were so excited about it. And I remember the movie posters all over Vegas. It was a sack of money. And then the tagline was Santa's got a brand new bag. Did it come out on Christmas? It came out on Christmas day. Mm. 1997 everybody was so excited and then they were all so pissed i think because they wanted like a big macho shoot 'em up like like clever dialogue dude sitting in cars and instead it's this like twisted romance with like a black woman protagonist and this like intellectual double crossing and hierarchy and they're like this is not what we wanted from this movie sometimes quentin tarantino does that and whenever he does i think like people get pissed like i think people were pissed about um hateful eight too maybe not like i don't think that's why you didn't like it but i think that was like a part of the reason like some people struggled with it because it's just like so low energy and it's all like in one it's like in one location and it's yeah, just it's like, like a play of, it's like a play and it's kind of like maybe kind of boring um I think that sometimes he just wants to do that. And when he does, I think audiences are kind of like irritated. I think people feel that way about the Coen brothers too. When the Coen brothers yeah. aren't like making Fargo, people are like, what the fuck? Coen brothers, get your act together. Yeah. Give me Raising Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. For me, The Hateful Eight was just like a very negative movie going experience because that also came out on christmas and i went to see it at the music box theater oh. on christmas eve on christmas day but in the evening okay christmas day's eve yes and uh that was a rough movie to see when i'm in the holiday spirit yeah because also i feel like his movies do dry like they they invite a real unsavory element and you like i like to go see his movies but i also look around me and I see like all the like trolls and incels who just laugh every time Jennifer Jason Lee gets punched in the face. Yeah. And I, I mean, feel like I hate all of you. I hate this movie. I hate this experience. This is not what I want right now. I mean, I, okay. Like I didn't see that movie until it was on Netflix. That's probably a better way. Um, So I didn't have that reaction. So I guess I didn't think about it like that, but yes, there are definitely people who will laugh anytime a woman gets um punched in the face and that is a gag that movies especially like mainstream action movies will fall back on more times than anyone will care to admit it is a guaranteed laugh in an action movie to punch a woman in the face it's true it's true and a lot of by a man by a man and also in comedies like anytime a woman had like i mean it's like played for comedy but like the falling down the stairs, the like banging her head on something The you're it's like, like experiencing violence against a woman. And it's like people because it's usually at the end of like a woman like nagging a man and like yelling in a man's face. And like, I think a lot of men know I could just punch you and shut you up, but they know they can't do it. And they see it happening on screen and they feel that release and they laugh because they hate women because they hate women. And um, I wonder, I would say. Well, I, was gonna, I wonder if that's kind of what um, was. I mean, obviously, that's what happens in the parking lot scene. That's when what I was just going to bring up when Robert De Niro kills um, uh, 
what's her name? Bridget Fonda. Melanie. Melanie. Um, but yeah, what do you think about that as like a culmination of their relationship? Because when we first see them, it's like they're just like they're just acquaintances kind of like in a room that are seem like they're sort of like getting along because they're both kind of smoking weed and they're kind of like the betas as Robert Dean always is to Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. And then they fuck cause they're bored. They fuck cause they're bored, which is also Robert De Niro's, I think his only like real sex scene except for maybe, well, he, except that isn't with himself and dirty grandpa. Yeah. Uh, I think that he also has one in Cape fear. Oh yeah. But I it's think the only one we've watched, but uh, yeah, for this series so far, this is our first like actual real sexual encounter with Robert De Niro. Okay. So, and, and how did you feel about the sex scene about his performance? Yeah. Like, how do you think I liked about it his he character like a as a dog? Lover? I mean, he was like hunched <laughs> over and he's just like, and then he, and then afterwards he's just like, Oh, that really hit the spot. And then he's like, do you have a beer? And that's it. And I was like, okay, pretty good pretty good robert bobby bobby i mean but yeah it's like his whole body is like totally hunched over and like he just yeah looks like an animal and she's like huh. like he finishes and she's like already disengaging herself yeah and she's like well that was fun yeah which is so funny like the funniest thing to say after you have sex with someone is just that, like that was that fun, was fun. <laughs> And then later when like there's that really awesome scene with um, De Niro and Samuel Jackson at the bar and uh, Ordell is like, did you know, he's like, I know if I leave you alone with Melanie in two minutes, she'll be fucking you. He's like, she's not any good at it, but she loves to do it. <laughs> and it's like, is she not good at it? Or like, are all of you guys just like you're all getting off so what's the pro like who's worrying about melanie that's my question i mean no Nobody. one no one cares about melanie but i think and she's the smartest one of those three of the three of them yeah she's the smartest one um i think they just like kind of hate melanie um but his the culmination of him like shooting her okay so i feel like it makes sense on a plot level because there's this sort of like hand of God element that's helping Jackie Brown get carry out her goals. Um, and that's part and of the it. hand of God is Robert Forster. Well, and Robert De Niro, because she puts the money, she gives um, Melanie an extra $10,000, hoping that that's going to be motivation for why Odell is mad at her to explain to the DA or whatever the fuck they are ATF so that she's going to have a cover because she, um, you know, remember when she takes that out and she's like, I put a cherry on top. Booyah. And she's yeah. Like, what did she's Odell like, what did Ordell ever do for so us? She knows those are marked bills and she's going to take that money. So when they find her dead and Robert De Niro's character doesn't know that she has that $10,000 on her, but they find her dead. They think that it's over the money. Yeah. That was just like, that just helped grease the wheels. That just made it the even whole situation. Smoother. Cause I feel like they were, gonna, there's no way Melanie's going to survive. But also through the because uh, this whole plan is hit, like involves a department store and a dressing room and um, Pam Greer trying on a suit. And while she's like in the dressing room trying on the suit, she's got this bag of money and she's like stacked it with romance novels so that they think that it's so full it's of like fifty thousand $500,000. And then when Melanie comes to pick it up. All you see is her like little like espadrille yeah. shoes under the thing and her, her like wedges. with her long toenails like hanging so off. Yeah, but like such a great detail. Like the detail, the level of like care for everything. There's a lot of Melanie's long toenails in this movie. There definitely is. The I think he likes them long and dirty. He likes them long and he wants to feel those little piggies in his beard. Ew. Oh my God. <laughs> oh Lord. Honestly, as a fetish, it's cute. Like it doesn't, I mean, it's I have zero foot. problem I, with it. I don't care. I don't care. Um, but so, I but, oh, I just wanted to say like her oh. little voice coming through the stall when Pam Greer is like, like yeah like you said like little cherry on top what did he ever what did ordell ever do for us and she's like thank you like there's such a I, it's just so sweet like there's just like those really i know sweet moments i know it was sweet and it's like she doesn't get a lot of like she doesn't get a lot of sympathy or empathy but in that she's also being manipulated and used yeah um so I feel like it helps in a plot plot wise. I don't think it's like totally motivated for like character wise. I don't think it makes perfect sense for Robert De Niro to just snap and shoot her. 
I uh, I could see it not making sense character wise, although I kind of got it. But I also think like it's it, to me, this felt like one of those moments where he's making some kind of co- like if a woman had made this movie that scene where like what leads up to him shooting her is that he can't find the car and they're like what it's this like very mundane interaction where they're walking through the parking lot and like he is agitated he's annoyed they like look like any other couple he's like holding the bag of from like the department store his like woman is like trailing behind and nagging him in his ear and she's like can't find the car you can't find the car and he's like stop it stop like please stop it Mm -hmm. and he's like don't say one more word and she's like okay and he shoots her and he shoots her twice and the camera stays on him when it when he shoots her like it doesn't link like what you were saying like the eroticism of like violence against women or like like really seeing a woman like suffer and and how that's like such a sexualized thing in this case you don't see her body at all you don't see the bullets hit her you see it all happen like the camera is on him when it happens yeah i mean i think that's how they do it when they play it for laughs like that because it's just like bam and then the woman goes down and you don't see it you just see her go down you don't see you don't even see her body though you just see him shoot her it's it totally stays on him the whole time and then he turns around and walks away and to me like yeah that is it is comedy it feels like it's like uh, like if a woman made that i would think that it was extra funny because when i see that it's like a man would rather murder a woman than ask for directions like if a woman shot that scene i'd be like that is great feminist art yeah but a woman didn't i know a woman didn't but do you think it's feminist i I actually do. I think that it is commentary on him. I think that it's critical of toxic masculinity. I think it's sh- I think it's showing toxic ma- I don't think that he's heroic or uh triumphant in any way and I think that if anybody reads it like that, they're sickos. I think that the perspective of the movie is that he's a bumbling idiot and that he's threatened by her and that he's annoyed and that he would rather murder her than ask her for directions. Yeah. I mean that he's completely lost any sense of well, agency masculinity. He's obviously not as sharp as he used to be. He doesn't have control over this world. And so often violence against women or children or what animals, whoever, it's about not having control in the world. So you take it out on somebody who's dependent on you or weaker than you or that it's an easy target. So I just thought like, okay, his character finally snapped because he's lost it. Yeah, I think um, so too. And, and I, I do actually think that like these movies have a, I think that there's things that happen in these movies that are feminist. And I think that he does, I, I, I think that he identifies with the underdog. I think that he wishes that he was a woman. I think that he wishes he was black. I think he wishes that he was part of a subculture of people that he like elevates and idolizes. Yeah, I mean, he definitely idolizes women and he definitely idolizes black men, black people. Um, but I think he, yeah, I think you're probably right about that. And so I don't know if it is like, it's like, is it feminist or is it fetish? I don't, it's kind of, it's kind of a gray area. Cause it's yes. like, you don't really know, uh, if he's, um, cause he, he really puts people on a pedestal and like, even like Pam Greer's character is like kind of infallible. Like she's perfect. I mean, the, the worst thing she does is like you said, be late to the, at the opening shot be like almost be late for the flight like that's it she's super smart she's super attractive she's got it all together everybody loves her she's so nice she's so charming she's like uh, she's got it all and it's great i mean it's great to watch but it's sort of like you can feel him being like i can just imagine him describing her as foxy you know what i mean i can just like she's this like foxy babe who always does x y and z and it's like okay and that's and it's great but I'm wondering where he's coming from. Sure. Cause I also feel like he, it's a thing of like Justine getting off on how righteous she is. Yeah. I think it's like he, that he can give these actors the gift of like revitalizing their career, like putting them, I feel like more so even than the toe thing is 
his pleasure at like letting these other people be seen it's a very like everything about him is like a little bit perverse but for me like it honestly does work and it's like the thing about the seduction of max cherry's character it's like it's a conversation it's she's not taking advantage of him he's not taking advantage of her he knows exactly who she is she knows who he is and they're they're just like sitting in that space they're adults it's about adults yeah. it's, like, it's about it's, adults yeah like there's not enough movies about adults i feel I like adult relationships adult romances it's messy it's like but they know who they are they're not they're not surprised they're not betrayed they're they take responsibility for their own actions and they just like do what they want and they use each other in a way they're like doing a dance that they both know so well yeah and i think that even him like that's like what's so cute and so also like devastating about him like picking out that cassette of the delphonics it's It's like like a teenager yeah and it's like he knows like he's been through this he's been in love before he knows how it feels to like he knows that he's setting himself up to hurt but like he wants it because it makes you feel alive it makes him feel good if you like you've been doing the same shitty job sitting in pe- like for 19 years like breaking into people's homes sitting there waiting to like serve them and taser them and whatever and it's like why like why am yeah, I, I mean, doing this that's what he says when he first sees her it's like this big moment watching her walk out and he says that was the night later you find out in flashbacks that was the night that he decided that he wasn't going to do it anymore mm-hmm. that he didn't need to break into people's houses and try to tase them anymore he was like i've been doing this for 20 years and i'm this is not a good life for me and you think okay that's a reason that he wants to be a part of this um sort of heist with her because he wants to retire on this big lump sum of money that he's gonna get and it turns out that that wasn't it at all like it was just he just needed something else he goes back to work at the end of it and all he needed was a vacation like she was a vacation for him she totally was and i think like that's that's what it was about he wanted to spend a a little more time with her a little more and like he didn't need to go to spain because he had that moment with her and he didn't want to like hold her back from being her like he wanted her to go and be herself and he just got that time when she needed him and she did anymore and and he for the rest of his life he can know that like he was instrumental in like setting her free yes and i think like that is like the pleasure that of that i think is what tarantino has of putting these actors in these these roles i mean i think that's i hope so i I think that that and i actually think that like that's what makes things like this like feel so pure and good and like real like it comes from a very deep like all of these characters come from from a very deep emotional place yeah but you know it's like kind of weird uh he doesn't do that anymore Tarantino how do you mean I mean like he doesn't really you I mean in uh once upon a time in Hollywood the stars are Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt he has like Luke Perry but it's like basically a cameo like the this the people he's like revitalizing that was kind of my problem with that movie it felt very um it felt very self-aware in like a bad way like he was responding to his critics not just people critical of him but like the film criticism and like twitter in general yeah so it sort of felt like he put that in as like a reference to himself but it wasn't the those weren't like main parts i felt like um i think that uh there aren't a lot of like movie stars left i think um Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt are are really part of that like last generation of true movie stars agree and having them in the roles that they were in where it's like they're kind of they're like over the hill they're like looking at the sunset it's like what that like to me that's kind of what that movie is about like you're either on your way up or on your way down they're like those two guys they're in very different classes but they're both like they're on the downslope and you look at those I, I I think like the actor that you you know Luke Perry and um, 
Who else is in it? Uh, Justified. Yeah. What's that, that guy's name? Oh, uh, Oliphant. Oh, the beautiful yeah. Timothy Oliphant. There's like all of these kind of TV actors, which um, DiCaprio's character is a TV actor who can't quite break over into film. Mm-hmm. And the movie that, or the show that they're shooting within the movie is all these like television actors who never became movie stars. So I feel, I feel like there's, I thought there was like a really cool interplay with the idea of like stars and aging and like the difference between television and movies that I, I thought he negotiated kind of that really nicely actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. What did he do before? What was, Oh, hateful eight. I guess hateful eight had some like more minor, like stars in it and then Django we got Walton Goggins and Django or in uh, Hateful Eight otherwise I feel like Walton Goggins would have been in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that's true no yeah maybe you're right um okay so we're gonna wrap have to wrap this up soon um do you have any last thoughts about Jackie Brown? Well, the, la- the, th- the last thing I would say is that um, to your point about uh, the scene where De Niro kills Melanie in the parking lot, uh, De Niro himself, from the interview that we both watched, it seemed like he was not fully on board with that choice or he didn't fully understand that choice. So I think like everything, like there's so many different ways to kind of read and interpret that and he you know who knows how I would love if I were to interview Robert De Niro today I would ask him first of all how the experience was of watching the movie for the first time with an audience that was not an industry audience and having not watched any like rushes or dailies what he thought of his performance and just like his general overview of the movie Yeah, I would love to know what his general overview of the movie was. I also sort of got the sense um, that he was unsure about it. And I think that's because as an actor, I think it was hard for him to find that motivation, which um, is makes sense to me. And I feel like actors are really good at like pinpointing flaws in scripts for that reason. Yeah, because they're like, why am I doing this? They they will they will they'll realize that there's a story problem when they can't justify it. So I felt like when I felt like his problem with that choice highlighted a script problem to me, Um, even though I do feel like what you're saying is true and it did serve a a purpose for the plot and it did have a just it was sort of justifiable, although it was like an overreaction for Robert De Niro. Like, oh, totally insane. Like you said, it's like he's cracked. He's like he's cracked, but it's also sort of like in the script. It's like the character is going from like a three to a ten. Um, right. which like we haven't seen an outburst. I feel like maybe if there's like an outburst of violence from him earlier in the movie that we see, like he really, I mean, we know he's got a violent past, but we don't see it. Yeah. So well, they're like of, once they fuck, there is a real, like he, he is so mean to her. And there is this thing of like, help me with but, this job. And he owes Ordell so like, much to take out a gun and shoot someone in the stomach. Oh, is it's such insane. Hyper escalation of that. Like someone being mean to you after you have sex with them is like, not is like normal but like i mean it's like not something that's like unheard of like in the course of human relationships but like pulling out a gun and shooting someone in a mall parking lot is like an exceptional thing like that doesn't happen every day yeah and i think that that's maybe like like to your point about jackie brown being more grounded that is an action that is almost more suited to Tarantino's like later filmography or like it's one of those like like fantastical things that happen it just feels unearned um as like a violent act like because we don't see like the violent side of of that character before Hmm. um but I love it I love that it's shocking and I love that it happens it's totally shocking um but I would say deranged and I guess I hate women (laughs) oh no um but yeah and also for you Aggie and you and I you but um there's also I think when he when Samuel L. Jackson kills him in the van I think it's revenge for I think he's upset about the money but I think it's revenge for killing her I completely agree because he gets that that's when he first like you see the seeds of like this guy's fucked up 
and yeah because also when De Niro is like I don't know she just like wouldn't stop talking and she's she like, just like you couldn't like, hit her kept yeah yeah he's like you couldn't hit her and he's like no 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 I uh she just like like you, you she just kept nagging me and it's like oh my god you sad sad man and uh and also later on at some point Samuel Jackson I don't know who he's talking to but he's like explaining how he killed um he he killed him and he's like he ki- he killed Melanie. She was my beach babe or whatever. She was my blonde beach babe. It's yeah. like he, I think he sort of sees her as an asset, but I th- I felt like some tenderness in that. Oh, yeah. I think I think so too. Yeah. They yes. So maybe that's where she gets her tenderness in the movie is there's a postmortem. Postmortem her her killing is justified very soon after the fact. Damn. I you know what? I feel like I have worked at part-time jobs with girls like Melanie. Um, there I mean, was something like kind of very like a rel- stoner. I don't know. There's something very relatable about her to me. Like, yeah, like the stoner who like sees everything and who, is like, who's kind like of a bitch, who's like, like kind of a who bitch. Are you hanging out with, right? Like, what do you do when you leave here? Who are your friends? And like, why do you live in this house? Why are you what? Like, why? How are you so high all the time? But you're so like, you get what's going on. Yeah, some people like have to be high. Well, I kind of get it. I mean, in order to see. In order to see, in order to see through all the fog. The glaucoma of the mind, of the spirit. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I, oh God, if I still had to have a medical card, that's what I would say. Um, Do you have anything, any further thoughts about? No, I think I said my final thoughts about it. Um, This was a great movie. We both loved it. I think we could talk about this so much longer, but unfortunately we have to stop. Um, Next week we are talking about another movie. Yeah, it is. Is it Irishman time already? Oh my God. Well, Irishman comes out November 1st in theaters yes so uh we've got one movie before the irishman what'll it be you'll see you will see all right farewell avita zane goodbye